one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Over the past several years, many people have begun taking up the hobby of tracing their ancestors and their family heritage because they are curious about where they come from. Has anyone done that? Has anyone in here ever, okay, about three of you have traced your lineage, your heritage, and we do that because we want to know where we come from, right? We want to know the the family history, the people that we've come from, the events in our lives, and they want to know what careers their ancestors held and the hardships that they overcome. And it's very interesting to study and to research your family history. If you've never done anything like that, let me encourage you to do so. Learn where where you come from. Learn about your people. Learn where your name comes from and what your ancestors did. And it's really intriguing when you do that. And as I began to, to read about it, interestingly it said, it has been said that the average person, now this is not everybody, it says the average person will not be able to trace their family any further back than the year 1700. And I found that really interesting, so I started reading a little bit more about it. And it said that one major barrier to the genealogist is in the mathematics, where with each generation, the number of direct ancestors doubles. Every time you go back a generation, it says the number doubles. Meaning, supposedly, if a person were to trace back 20 generations, it says that they would be dealing with more than a million direct ancestors. Meaning, if you would go back that many generations, you would have more than a million people that you'd be trying to follow. And it says another difficulty, which this one I found really interesting, is the spelling of your last name. It's really intriguing when you actually get into the lineage of your last name. And it says there are some people have found that their family name has been spelled as many as 200 different times since the last name came to be. That's a lot of last names to try to track down, right? And that's a lot of different spellings. But people do this, and they spend years trying to study this, and they look through records, and they read in history books, and they they study family documents. They do this because they want to know where they're from and and the history of their family. And as we've discussed over the past uh, a few months at different times over the different series we've done, We understand that history is important, right, church? It's important to study where you're from and and to know the the history behind your family and and where you you really came from. Because, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but the decisions that were made in the past and your family led up to the moment right now. To this, every decision that has been made in the past has led to this moment. 
And some of us, our ancestors, are looking down and thinking, why in the world are they wearing ugly sweaters, and why is he preaching in an ugly sweater on a Christmas Sunday, <laughs> right? But every, every, throughout history, every decision that was made has led to this very moment. And it's important, because it's important to understand how we got here and where we came from. For instance, several years ago, I, w- I was riding in the back of my mom's minivan, and my sister was up front, and my mom was driving. And so we started talking about our family lineage. And my mom was telling me about the rich history of pastors in my family. And my mom, if you're a mom in here, listen to me, you are a very special person because you know things that your children will never know unless you tell them. My mom knew something, and she decided to tell me. And I looked at my mom, and I said, you're crazy. And my mom looked at me in the rearview mirror, and I looked back at her, and she said, son, one day you are going to follow in the preacher's footsteps. And I looked at my mom, being the dumb 15-year-old that I was, and I said, yeah, that's never going to happen. I am not going to follow in their footsteps. I'm never going to be a preacher. Kind of ironic now, isn't it? <laughs> See, if I could go back uh, to that, that time when I was 15, if I could go back and, and talk to my 15-year-old self, um, what I would do is I would smack myself in the mouth. I would, I would look myself in the eyes and say, young man, pull up your pants, sit up straight, and listen to your mama, because she knows. Ladies and gentlemen, children in here, listen to me. Children, look at me, eyes on me. Your mama knows, all right? Your mama's right, whether you guys want to admit it or not. If I could go back to my 15-year-old self, I would tell him, listen to her, because she knows where you come from. And as I look back, I, I now realize how blessed I am. I think about the, the history, the rich history of pastors on my mom's side. It goes back generations. And then my dad, he was first-generation minister. And as I study my, my family history, I, I look at the past, and I realize how important it is, about how important those decisions are to be able to lead a family on the right path. And, and I think about that, that the, the history of the Wesleyan Church is my history. The history of all of those pastors led up to this moment, to me preaching this message right now. And I realize just how important history is and where we come from and, and how we're shaped and, 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 and how the past has shaped where we are today. And, and if I'd go around this room in this sanctuary and I'd ask each of you to, to tell me about your history and your family's past, I am sure that you guys have some amazing stories. I've talked with many of you, and you guys have shared with me lots of different stories. And it's absolutely amazing. And, and I'm sure that all of you would be able to say that I come from a rich history and it shaped me today. But I also understand that not all history and not all stories are pleasant, right? I'd also be curious to, if we would go around the room and you would tell me some stories, you could probably say, Pastor, it wasn't all glamorous and perfect, right? You see, I think back about my family history and I think about the pastors and how amazing that is, how blessed I am, but I also remember the stories I've been told about other things. And, it, and it's heartbreaking. But even in that darkness of history, we can see how we're shaped today, right? How those stories have made us into who we are as people today, right? It's amazing, isn't it? And it's interesting to discuss the, the past and history because during the Advent and Christmas season, the history of this story is beyond important, church. You see, oftentimes what we do is we take Christmas at face value, right? 
We come on Sundays and then we see people light the candles and the preacher talks about Christmas and then we go home and as we get closer to Christmas, we, we read the stories, maybe one or two stories out of very, you know, common books that we have during Christmas time. And we read them to our kids and then we go about our, our merry way. And we really never give the, the history of Advent a second thought about why we celebrate what we celebrate. You see, the history that led up to the purpose of Christmas is absolutely astounding. Why we celebrate Christmas is beyond astounding. And if you don't understand the history of it, if we, if we don't remember the past, then you're never going to fully appreciate or, or comprehend the meaning behind it because of what happened in the past. The story of Christmas is necessary. This wasn't like we just one day the church sat down and said, what can we do? I got an idea. We could put a 20-foot tree in our sanctuary, put some lights on it, wear ugly sweaters, and let's celebrate. It wasn't just some fun idea. There's a rich history behind this holiday. And unless we know that rich history and truly study it, then we're not going to know why it's necessary to celebrate. Unfortunately, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But I believe that Christmas and, and our culture has become so glamorized and commercialized, this light show, that it has set us down a very dangerous path of forgetting. We've materialized Christmas. We've commercialized it. It's now just about gifts and the fun and the cookies and the dinners that we don't really sit back and look at. Why was Jesus sent? Why why was the baby born? Why do we celebrate this? And I know what you're thinking, right? Well, here's another pastor bashing my family traditions and the fun, and that's not my intent at all. I promise I don't want to bash your family traditions. I don't want to bash the fun. If I was bashing the fun, then I would not be wearing a llama and sunglasses on my sweater. All right, that's not my intent. I want us to have fun today, right? I want you to enjoy the ugly sweaters. I want you to enjoy the meal. I want you to enjoy the games. Have fun. That's not my intent. I don't want to bash the fun. My intent today is to help us fully grasp and understand the history and the meaning of Christmas so that we can truly celebrate and know why it is we're celebrating. Why are we celebrating? What's the purpose? Well, here's what I mean. Here's the purpose. You ready? Jesus was sent with the purpose of being the promised deliverer. That's why we celebrate Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. It is the promised deliverer. You and I needed saving. We were on a road. We were on a path straight to hell. And God looked down and said, no, I am going to send you a deliverer. I'm going to send you a savior. Ladies and gentlemen, we must not forget that history. We must not forget why it is we celebrate. So go with me back to the passage in Mark, if you will. As we look at this, this gospel of Mark, we begin to see how, how he begins his account of the gospel of Jesus. And what he does is he intentionally makes us remember. He says, basically, he doesn't say, but he basically intends to say, look at the past. I need you to comprehend where it is you came from so you can understand what is about to take place. He said, because if you don't understand what is happening in the past, then you're not going to understand the events moving forward in my gospel. You have to understand what's going on. And Mark understood the importance of where we came from in the history. Listen to what he said. Look at verses 2 and 3. 
He wrote, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. He says, it, it, it's written in the history books. It's written in, the, I, look at the history. Listen to what it says. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. You see, from the beginning, what he does is he ties this trailblazing ministry of John the Baptist. That's who he's talking about here. Is John the Baptist was coming to prepare the way for Jesus. So he ties this trailblazing ministry of John the Baptist in the rescue mission of Jesus with the ancient prophecy of Isaiah 40. He says, this is what the prophecy said. If you don't understand how significant this is, he says, look, look, in order for you to comprehend what John the Baptist is about to do and what Jesus is about to do, you need to go all the way back to Isaiah. You need to remember the prophecy of your ancestors. Then you will be able to comprehend what is about to take place. And this was so significant because Mark understood that the Jewish readers knew well the context of Isaiah 40. He understood. They know the prophecy. And so what he's trying to point to is he says, I'm going to remind you of the prophecy so you can see what's about to take place. Because they were about to live it. But he wants to remind us. So go with me to Isaiah 40. You see, Mark knew that Isaiah 40 was a prophecy about deliverance from exile. And so we're going to read Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. And listen to what it says. It's so beautiful. Comfort, comfort my people. Mm. says your God. That's God. That's God talking in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, he calls us. We're his people. Did you guys know that? Can I get an amen on that? We are his people. He says, comfort, comfort my people, God says. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hand, that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand Double for all of her sins. A voice, sound familiar? A voice of one calling. And the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May God bless the reading of his word. Here's a history lesson. The first 39 chapters of this book, they're weighed down with repeated warnings that judgment was coming. God said, you all have been, you all have been acting a fool. You guys have not been acting right. And because of that, judgment's coming. And the Jewish people will be taken captive. But chapter 40, church, if you want a devotional this week, read Isaiah 40. Make that your devotional for this week. Isaiah 40 presents a break, a, a, a pivotal moment. You see, when we talk about Advent, we talk about hope. And Isaiah 40, listen to me, you want some hope? There it is. It's this beautiful, pivotal moment of hope. It's this beautiful segment of hope. You see, after the tragedy of exile, God will speak again, Isaiah says. And he will say, listen to it, verse 1, comfort, comfort. My people, I'm sending a deliverer. You're living in exile, but I'm coming. You're living in exile, but I promise it's not going to be forever. A deliverer is coming. I'm going to deliver you from slavery, from the exile. 
And he points ahead by saying, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. You see, to those captives in exile, God promised a Messiah. And as we've talked about many times over the past several weeks, does God make a promise with the intention of not fulfilling it? Absolutely not. What does he do, church? He fulfills his promises, doesn't he? So to these captives, what he says is, listen, I'm going to send you a deliverer in church. Guess what we're reading in the book of Mark? We're, we're reading about that prophecy fulfilled. That should get us excited, shouldn't it? God says, look, I'm going, to send you a, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a deliverer. And what did he do, church? What did he do, church? He sent us a deliverer, didn't he? He sent us a savior. That, Mark says, is what the story of Jesus is about. That is why we celebrate Christmas, is the deliverer coming. Jesus is sent to reclaim his people from exile. Amen? Come on, church. That's just something to get excited about. However, what's sad about this, though, is we're celebrating it. We're celebrating this deliverance. And God says, comfort, comfort. I'm going to deliver you from it. Yet, here's the sad part about it. Can I give you the negative first and then the positive here in a little bit? The negative is there are still people who are choosing to live in the exile. Church, if that doesn't break your heart, then I don't know what will. I, I fear, let me, let, me, let me be very transparent with you. I fear that we've become very cold-hearted. I'm talking to the church for a minute. I fear we've become very cold-hearted to that fact. That there are still sinners in this world who do not have the grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. And because of that, we've stopped doing our mission, which is to go and to reach them. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there are still people who are choosing to live in exile. But for us to understand this, we've got to go even further back in history, which is Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we, that's where we're told about our exile. Well, pastor, what do you mean by this? Well, listen to me. And in Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man. This is what I'm talking about. Our exile is sin. Sin is our exile. If you're taking notes, that's the very first point. I only got two this morning. Sin is our exile, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. You see, what happened was, is God said, do not eat from that tree. And what did we do? We ate from the tree, right? And God says, okay, you're going to sin against me. Now I have to banish you. Because we sinned, we are cast out. We are banished. We are placed into exile. And, and, and the promise of Isaiah 40 is rooted in the reality of Jerusalem's exile. They were actually physically exiled, right? You see, that because of their stubborn sin and disobedience, they, they just could not get it right. So many times they just, they, they, they saw what God did. I mean, we studied in the book of Joshua. We saw their rich history, right, of God delivering and saving them and doing amazing things for them. However, Israel constantly just said, thank you, Lord, but we're going to go this way instead. And so because of that disobedience, they would experience judgment at the hands of the Babylonian invaders. They were going to physically be, they would, they would live under the cruel yoke of captivity. However, our experience is exactly the same. Well, what do you mean, preacher? We live in the land of the free. Live in America, we're free. Yes, however, our captor is not an enemy nation, but the ever cruel curse of sin. If you're living in sin, let me burst your bubble for just a second. 
you are living in exile from God. You cannot serve two masters, Scripture says. You cannot be living in sin and be living with God. Doesn't I come to church. Awesome. Can't be doing both. You can come to church. Don't get me wrong. It's, we are supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a rest home for saints. But what I'm telling you is you cannot live in sin and have the Lord with you. Doesn't work that way. So when you are living in sin, you are living in exile, church. Well, how did we get here? Well, we're born into slavery. We have this hopelessness. We're hopeless prisoners in desperate need of a rescue. How do we get there? Well, it was our own failure, church. It was our choice. In the beginning, humanity was created for union with God, but we fell into temptation, betraying our king in exchange for a tyrant. And what's sad is, listen to me, we decide this. We, we choose to live in this exile. We choose to live outside of God's law. Sin can be defined like this, as a willful transgression against, against the known law of God. Did you hear that word? The willful transgression against the known law of God, meaning you're choosing it. Well, pastor, I made a mistake. No, you didn't. You made a choice. Well, I stumbled and fell. Yep. Still a choice. Still made the choice. And what's sad about it is, and this is, this is what's really, really kind of depressing, is that we celebrate Christmas. The world celebrates Christmas. You see, Christmas is, is this, and, and Advent is the celebration of the coming deliverer, of the coming deliverer who came to bring us out of exile, and we celebrate the coming delivery, right? So we, we celebrate, that's why on December 25th, we're all gonna wake up and we're gonna celebrate this. This is amazing, right? So we're celebrating the delivery, yet there are so many people who deny the deliverance. It doesn't make sense to me. How on Christmas time, we can celebrate. Yes, he came to deliver us. Yet over here, how about I just not live like that? Oh, but he, we're going to celebrate. We're going to put up the lights. We're going to give out the gifts. We're going to celebrate the coming deliverer. Yet, how about I don't accept the deliverance? I keep choosing exile instead. It's wild to me that so many celebrate the coming deliverer while at the same time denying the freedom of deliverance and choosing to live in exile and in sin. Does that confuse anybody else? How we can celebrate this amazing holiday, celebrate the delivery, yet deny the deliverance and choose to live in bondage and sin. I don't understand it. Church, sin is our, sin is our exile. It is our doom if we allow it to take us that far. But that's why we need Advent, right? So there's the bad news. Lean to your neighbor and say, all right, there's the bad news. Lean to your other neighbor and say, here comes the hope. Sin is our exile. However, Jesus is our exodus. Can I get an amen on that? Sin is our exile, but Jesus is our exodus. God was not and is not content to leave us in exile. You might choose it, but God's saying, please stop. I don't want you to live like that. I want you to have freedom. I sent you Jesus Christ because I want you to have this freedom. I want you to celebrate it with the understanding that you are now free. Yes, sin is judged, but Jesus provides the rescue. Just as the, the Jewish people looked for deliverance from Babylon, they were looking for that deliverance. They were looking for that comfort we too long for deliverance from sin. We long for it, church. 
And while the clear context of Isaiah 40 is centered around the Babylonian captivity, there is important language here that is designed to trigger even deeper memories. History is important, remember? And here in Isaiah, it's, it's so important. You see, when Isaiah prophesies that a deliverer will come and make straight paths in the desert, you can feel that jolt that is shared in the memory of God's people. Was he reminding them of? Well, a deliverer, lead, a deliverer leading them out of the captivity in Egypt. God has done this time and time and time again for them. He says, remember, this was one of the most significant identity-shaping moments in their history. And listen to me, church, he's doing it again. And guess what he does in the Gospels? He does it again. He continues to deliver us. The history of captivity and the rescue that marked God's people would now culminate in the ultimate freedom Ladies and gentlemen, you and I, we have the hope of ultimate freedom, amen? We don't have to live in exile. We don't have to live in slavery. We don't have to live in captivity. Christmas and Advent, it's more than the, the culmination or, or the co commercialization. It's more than materialism that we've made it to be. Christmas and Advent, it's about humanity being lost. We were banished and living in exile. It's about our God who loved us so much that he sent his son to be born of a woman, to live as we do, to die a criminal's death and overcome death and the grave in order for you and I to be set free. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we celebrate. That's why we put up the lights. That's why we celebrate like we're doing today. It's not just a fun thing that we do. It's celebrating our freedom from exile knowing that Jesus is our exodus. And so this Christmas season, here's, what, here's my challenge for you. Am I allowed to do that? I know we're going to go and eat a lot of good food, but I am going to make you work. Is that okay? Here's your challenge, all right? Don't just go through the motions this Christmas. Have fun, all right? Do eat the cookies, put up your lights, celebrate, do all the fun things like we're doing today. But here's the challenge. Don't just go through the motions. Pause. Throughout the Christmas season, every day or maybe just once in a while, but pause and reflect on the freedom that you have been given through Christ. Amen? Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we celebrate. Remember your exile and celebrate your exodus. Yes, sin is our exile, but Jesus is our exodus. Jesus is sent to reclaim his people from exile and to lead us into the freedom of grace. And so this Christmas, let me challenge you. Celebrate and choose the deliverance and celebrate the deliverer, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, sin is our exile, but Jesus, he is our exodus. All right, if you will, stand to your feet with us again. And these two nice ladies are going to come and lead us in song.
that's enough to make a daddy cry. Anyway, all right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us for choosing exile. And Lord, help us to remember and to choose your deliverance. Sin is our exile, but Lord, you are our exodus. And today, Lord, we're celebrating that. And we thank you so much for it. And Lord, as we continue our celebration, as we head into our fellowship hall to eat, Lord, I pray that you bless the food. Let it nourish our bodies and let the fellowship nourish our hearts today. And Lord, let us leave here filled with your spirit so that the world can see what the true meaning of Christmas is. And it's in your glorious and holy name that we pray this and everybody says it. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys and I'll see you over there. Make sure you get your bellies full. God bless you. <laughs>